Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 132 of X-Lapsed. And uh, you all believe in miracles? Because uh, we're here. We're actually here. We're at the end of this crossover. We're at the end of X of Tens. Oh, my goodness. Um, we got a lot to talk about, so let's just jump right in here. This is X of Swords Destruction, number one. At a January 2021 cover date, the story is X of Swords, Chapter 22 of 22. It was uh, written by Jonathan Hickman and Teeny Howard, with art by Pepe Larez. Colors, Marty Gracia. Letters, VCs, Clayton Cowles. Designs, Tom Muller. Edits, Bisa White, Sabolsky. Cover price, $5. And this one went on sale November 25th of 2020. Oh boy, oh boy, I got the uh, the goosebumps here. The uh, scalafrios, as uh, my wife would call them here. Uh, now we open our final chapter with a blank quote page. Uh, this one's from Apocalypse, who I suppose is sort of kind of the, you know, featured character of this entire story. So that eh, stands to reason. Um, and it's about carrying burdens for one's entire uh, entire life. From here, double page, brother creds, then our roll call. And it's our customarily long roll call. We got Saturnine. Then we got our Krakoan champions, Magic, Cable, Cypher, Storm, Wolverine, an X'd-out Betsy Britton, Captain Avalon Apocalypse, and an X'd-out Gorgon. Then we got our Iraqi champions, War, an X'd-out White Sword of the Ivory Spire, we did see him, you know, split last issue, an X'd-out Creepy Summoner, Red Root the Forest, a question-marked-out Solemn, hmm, an X'd-out Death, because he's dead, uh, Iska the Unbeaten, Bay the Blood Moon, even though I could have sworn she switched sides last chapter, uh, Annihilation, and, of course, Pog, Ur, Pog. Now we open at the Starlight Citadel, and Saturnine is drawing her final tarot card, and thank goodness for that. It's made uh, fairly clear here that the outcome of X of Tens was never in question, as if to say Saturnine could not have affected or changed it, the outcome, that is. All she could do is impact just how windy the path to get there would be. And, uh, well, we have seen her screw with every single thing she could screw with. So, uh, I, I, I guess we can uh, see that. Now, this final card, it turns out to be the Wheel of Fortune. Which just so happens to have a great big Roman numeral X on it, because, of course it does. Now this, I think, summons the newly Betsyized Captain Britain Corps into the still-raging battle in Otherworld. And, well, we see the Captain Britain Corps, uh, plus purple hair and a swan, but no butterfly. 
Uh, now they all leap into the fray here, and the former Captain Britain, beautiful Brian, he lights up when he sees this at the fact that the core has returned. Annihilation responds to this by summoning the summoners, who then, in turn, summon up those generic Lovecraftian horrors we've seen uh, every so often in this in this uh, event. We jump back to the Citadel, and we see that Kid Cable is convalescing from his battle to the death with Bay the Blood Moon right there with Saturnine. Which uh, kind of feels strange that he'd just be hanging out with Saturnine, but whatever. Now down below, Apocalypse struggles in his fight with Annihilation. Cable is then chatted up telepathically by Cyclops, who's being aided by Jean and the Cuckoos aboard the Sword Satellite in order to make contact. They're just about ready to make their move. All they need is for magic to open a portal, which, if you recall, was something that they talked about way back in, I want to say, Cable number 5. And so, she does. Bada-bing, bada-boom, the portal opens, and a whole lot of X-Men enter the fray. And uh, we know that they're the X-Men because Jean actually does use the line, you know, to me, my X-Men, which... I think it's supposed to inspire goosebumps, but the line has been rendered so try-hard over the years I can barely even summon the energy to shrug. Anyway, we got a ton of characters here, and it's it's a really, really cool-looking page. Let's go through them. Let's name some of these folks off here. Of course, we've got Cyclops and Marvel Girl. Then, representing X-Factor, we got Polaris, Rachel, Amazing Baby, and Dakin. Dakin. Uh, from X-Force, we got Domino, Quentin Quire, who I'm pretty sure is supposed to be either dead or captured right now, if we, you know, if we bothered to read X-Force, uh, which maybe uh, Hickman and Howard didn't do. I don't know. Uh, we also have Beast. From Excalibur, we got Gambit, Richter, and Rogue. From the New Mutants, we got Magma, Chamber, Glob, Herman, Mondo, Wolfsbane, Boom Boom, and Alma. From the Marauders, we got Bishop, Iceman, and Pyro. Former villains, we got Eunice the Untouchable, who, you know, probably has some unfinished business with the Amenthi, so stands to reason he'd be here. We've also got some uh, MLFers here. We got Wildside and Forearm. Then we got some unaffiliated mutants. Skin, Forge, Vulcan, Monet, Pixie, Warpath, Multiple Man, or Multiple Men, I suppose, The Cuckoos, Bling, Callisto, Archangel, Dupe, and Gwenpool? How in the hell did Gwenpool get here? Next time. Uh, And so, with everybody on board, we buckle in for several pages of battle. We see Apocalypse and Annihilation have a scene with the former still attempting to get the latter to not give in to the Helm's influence. And it looks like it's almost working, but we'll get there. Back at the Citadel, Kid Cable is watching everything unfold alongside her royal whiness. Now, he is at a loss for how he can help out until Saturnine reminds him of the tarot card he drew like 500 pages ago. If you recall, it was the card of the Fool. Cable also recalls this, and he's rather embarrassed because he's taking it at, you know, the, uh, the face level here. It says Fool means Fool. Now, Saturnine really has to basically spell everything out to him here. You see, he drew the Fool card only because, you know, only a Fool would think that the blade he carried was actually just a sword. Right Now, we found out in cable number five that it was also like a key or a cosmic jumpstarter cable in order to start up that orb at the sword satellite. 
And I mean, we're really taking the scenic route here, but I, but I promise we're, we're almost done. Now, next we know Cable is warped to the sword satellite, where he sticks his sword into the orb and opens up that big old door that held the generic Hickman Viscora aliens at bay. They, then the aliens, then flood into Otherworld and start battling the Amenthi demons, which, gotta say, that sure was a stroke of luck, wasn't it? Imagine if they just joined up with the Amenthi. Eh? I mean, that could have that really ended poorly. Back to Apocalypse and Annihilation. He smashes his wife to the ground and forcibly rips the Annihilation helm from her. He then puts it on himself. He does so as he's pretty sure he can control the helmet and not succumb to its desires and its control. You see, Apocalypse is less motivated to simply defeat Annihilation. All he really wants to do is save his people, which he makes perfectly clear to the haunted helm. At which point, well... Iska the Unbeaten is suddenly struck by the desire to switch sides. Uh-oh. Well, that doesn't bode well for the bad guys, do it? Then, Apocalypse faces toward the Starlight Citadel, takes a knee, and surrenders, ending the fight and somehow defeating Annihilation. Next we know Saturnine is riding on Dragon Shogo's back, who is you know, spewing his reality-warping dragonfire all over the place to tie off some loose ends, now, magic, with a C, that is, might be like the number one storytelling cop-out, but by this point, I just want this to be over, so I'm not going to complain. She then transforms the haunted helm into a rod, which she hands over to Genesis for safekeeping. Which doesn't feel like something she ought to be doing, but you, you just know that if comics survive the next ten years, which... Is becoming more and more doubtful by the week. Uh, there'll probably be an X of Swords X anniversary special or something, so we'll need to have some way to organically revisit this. Now, here's where I'd say this would be a shoe drop moment, and maybe it is, but I'm just so tired. <laughs> Saturnine, uh, Saturnine's shoe drops. Uh, she states that to effectively tie a bow on this, one champion from either side must leave their own land and live alongside their enemy. And so she turns to the losing side first. She allows Genesis to pick for the Iraqis. And she chooses her husband, Apocalypse. Then it's Krakoa's turn, and Apocalypse himself makes the choice, and he picks, well, the mutant island Araco itself, along with its millions of mutant prisoners. Now, Saturnine is impressed simply because she hadn't thought of that herself, and so she okays the trade. Everything is going to go according to plan. And then everybody goes home. Um, now Apocalypse has been reunited with his family, and he promises the X-Men that he will one day see them again. Next up, an info page. Are you kidding me? This is, this is a page about the Swords of Araco. Hey, you remember when this was all about swords? It was several hundred pages ago, but, but I promise you, this was about swords at some point. Now, this is sort of like the Animal House epilogue here, where we get to find out what the swords are up to now. It's like, hey, where have they been? Uh, and this is where they are now that their usefulness has run out. So, in for a penny, in for a pound, let's do this. Vermilion was War's sword, and it burns with hate. It's located in an Amenthi stronghold. Purity, the white sword of the Ivory Spire's sword. Well, to quote from our theme song, it's the uh, same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. And it's located in the Ivory Spire. 
Colony. The creepy summoner's sword was claimed by the Void. Uh, hopefully that doesn't mean the Sentry's evil split personality, because that would be very boring. I'm guessing the Void just means it's probably lost somewhere in Blightspoke where, you know, the summoner was killed. We've got Alluvium. Red Root the Forest Sword, which is currently shrunk down and jammed into a jar with its owner at the Crooked Market, probably taunted by uh, Mad Jim Jaspers on the regular. Muramasa. That's Solemn Sword, and Solemn still got it, but as the uh, as our roll call page alluded to, nobody seems to know where he is. Now, we're told here that the sword is on Earth, so I'm guessing uh, our adamantium-skinned friend is probably... Somewhere on Earth, he'll be around to haunt Wolverine again before long. We've got the Black Bone of Amdwat, which is Death's sword, still in Seveleth, along with Death himself. We've got uh, Seducer, which is Bay the Blood Moon sword, which will remain with Bay on Krakoa, since Bay seems to be moving in. So I was incorrect in assuming that she would be a sacrifice. She's going to make it out the other end. Mercy, which is Iska the Unbeaten sword. Uh, now, we find out here that Iska is an Omega-level mutant. I don't know if that's something we knew before. I guess it, you know, it's, it should be pretty obvious, considering her power. Now, it will remain with her on Arako, which, following the trade, I assume means she'll be coming back to Earth with us. Will Arako be coming back? Eh, we'll have to see. Pog-er-Pog, which is Pog-er-Pog's Pog-er-Pog. Um, well, Pog-er-Pog is still a merc, and he lives in a myth. That's that. Finally, the Twilight Blade. This is Genesis' sword, uh, which, in case you don't know, uh, sliced Okara into Krakoa and Arako a long, long time ago. Uh, They might have mentioned that once or twice. Uh, Genesis seems to have dropped it, but someone else claimed it. So I guess we'll be coming back to this sometime down the line. Okay, next up, info page. Oh, boy. Now, these are the swords of Krakoa. The Soul Sword, Magic Sword, she'll still carry it, duh. Muramasa, Wolverine Sword, which he still has, though I doubt we'll see him using it very much. Skybreaker, now this is a Storm Sword, of course, the one that she got from uh, Wakanda. Now, we find out that it's been returned to Wakanda damaged. I don't remember seeing it get get damaged, but then again, I might have glazed over a little bit. Uh, So, whatever the case, tensions will remain high between... The nations, Wakanda and Krakoa, for uh, for a long, long time to come. Warlock is Doug's self-sword, and it's still Warlock, and he ain't going nowhere. The Light of Galador, Cable's Space Knight sword. It's uh, still jammed in the orb at the sword satellite. The Sword of Might, Brian Avalon's sword, and he still wields it and has stood to defend that weirdo King Jamie Braddock's throne in Avalon. The Starlight Sword, Betsy's sword, is back at the Starlight Citadel. The Scarab Blade, which is Apocalypse's sword, is still in pieces. We saw it get destroyed, uh, I believe, last chapter. And it's buried under the Starlight Citadel right now. Grasscutter and Godkiller are Gorgon swords, and uh, Gorgon himself was carried back to Krakoa with his swords, and uh, looks like he awaits an attempt at a uh, crooked resurrection. So that is that. Next up, info page. Again... Uh, this is all about the reformed Captain Britain Corps. Now, we learn here that Betsy Prime, which is to say 616 Our Betsy, she's still missing. So none of these purple-headed folks were our Betsy. We do get a bunch of names from the new Captain Britain Corps, though, 
And before we read them, I'd like to beg Marvel not to launch a Captain Britain core ongoing series. Please? Please? Okay, let's do this. We have Captain Britain Beth Braddock of Earth-6. Justicar Drudica of Earth-14. Captain Britain Alexander Braddock of Earth-15. Captain Amphibian of Earth-22. Alpha Breton from Earth-33. Sister Britain from Earth-65. Captain Krakowica? Krakowica. Okay, from Earth-78. The Green Woman of Earth-99. Capitan Angland of Earth-305. Captain Albion of Earth-523. Captain Britain Liz Braddock of Earth-812. Captain UK of Earth-839. Captain Bretland of Earth-904. Captain Grand Britain from Earth-1812. Captain Plum Dragon from Earth-2112. Uh, High Priestess Keltia of Earth-2113. Crusader X of Earth-2122. Centurion Britannia of Earth-4100. Captain Baboon of Earth-8101. The Violet Swan of Earth-8311. Elspeth Braddock of Earth-13059. And Britannica Rex of Earth-99476. And now I am suddenly really not looking forward to the next several issues of Excalibur. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, anybody out there still up for some comics pages? Because, uh, believe it or not, we got a few. We do have a few left here. In them, Saturnine's fish-faced aide asks some clarification on where everything currently sits. To which I say, damn you and thank you. Um, anyway, let, let's learn some stuff. First, we learn that Jubilee and Shogo were reunited. Then, it turns out Cable's Light of Galador wasn't actually the Tenth Sword. It was actually the Sword Satellite itself that was the Tenth Sword. Uh, we see Storm return the damaged Skybreaker to Wakanda. Next, the remains of the Quiet Council, which now sits at ten members. Or, if we want to be cute, it sits at X members. <clears throat> uh, not sure if they'll replace Apocalypse or Jean. I suppose that'll remain to be seen, but... Uh, we do like our 10s and we do like our Xs, so it wouldn't surprise me to see them keep it at uh, 10, especially considering we're going into Reign of X, which could be Reign of 10, and 10 people in the Quiet Council, and I'm, I'm just going to stop. We learn that the Avalon Gate will be the only gateway to and from Earth from Otherworld. Um, we also get a look at Blightspoke, where Saturnine is using some of Viscora and some Summoners to try to get that whacked-out place in order. We head to Sevelith, where death is still uh, being fed upon by zombies, vampires, or whatever the hell they are. Saturnine then walks past her new Captain Britain Corps to her quarters, where she does that thing where she laments the fact that she doesn't have her beautiful blonde British Brian uh, for herself one more time. And then she sits down. Long may she reign, or whatever. And we're done. We are done. Uh, next episode, something a little bit different to uh, kind of cleanse the palate. But uh, we'll worry about that then. Let's talk about this issue. And, uh, well, a lot of stuff happened here, huh? <laughs> Maybe too much stuff. So much stuff that it was kind of hard to take a lot of it seriously because there was just too much going on. Um... You've heard of, like, battles of attrition, right? Like, first side to fall loses. This was like a reverse battle of attrition, where whichever side was able to call the most reserves in was going to win. It was just... 
the stakes just uh, just went further and further away. We just kept bringing more and more people into this here. But at the end of the day, it was all rendered moot by Apocalypse being able to overwhelm the haunted helmet and winning, just winning everything. I mean, let's look at this battle here. We've got the Captain Britain Corps. We got priestesses. We got the X-Men. I mean, uh, dozens of X-Men. Uh, the Vescora aliens. We've got, on the other side, the Amenti Demons, Summoners, the Lovecraftian Horrors, the Iraqi, Iraqi Champions. Just a an absolute Dagwood sandwich of a fight scene. Uh, it felt like the stakes were just being artificially raised to the point where it felt like nothing mattered anymore. I mean, and all the X-Men go there, and, and they suffer no casualties. Uh, it, it just it felt very, very artificial. I mean, we were at a point here where it's like, why not just call in the Avengers? Uh, let's throw a few million Inhumans into the mix. Let's get S.H.I.E.L.D. involved. It just didn't matter. <laughs> it was just bodies for the sake of being bodies and making this battle look a lot larger than it was. And, and I felt like it felt like it was just all a distraction because at the end of the day, there wasn't a whole heck of a lot of story to this issue. It was Apocalypse taking the helmet, kind of tricking the helmet, you know, by by saying, you know, I'm not trying to fight you off. I just want to save my people. Where I think anyone else who's taken the helmet, or at least this is the impression we're supposed to be getting, is anyone else who had been cursed with the helmet has been so focused on beating the helmet, so focused on not succumbing to the helmet, that they do. That it's like almost, it almost shines a weakness on them. Where Apocalypse is like, hey, you know, I'm more invested in saving my people than beating you. And in saving his people, he also managed to beat the helmet. It, but then we have all this stage dressing, you know. It just it felt so artificial, so artificial. Um, uh, the watchword for our X of Tens discussions here ha- has been uh, pacing. I don't know how a story can both feel so inflated and so bloated, but also so rushed. I mean, there were plenty of pa- there were too many pages for this story. This story filled way too many pages, but squandered most of them. You know, uh, we had the first 11 parts were all a sword hunt. You know, we had two issues of Wolverine in Hell. You know, that's 40-odd pages of Wolverine in Hell looking for a sword. How many info pages do we get in this damn thing? I mean, some of the most important things happened in the info pages in this damn thing. But it was such a slow burn... And it felt like we didn't use our paginal real estate effectively, but we still had so much stuff thrown at us. And then when we get to the end here, it's like, oh, wait, we forgot to reintroduce the Captain Britain Corps. Oh, wait, those Viscora aliens, we got to do something with them. Oh, wait, Cyclops and Magic had that talk. We need to address it now. And it was just all jammed in here. It was everything, you know? This is 10 pounds a story in the 5 pound bag sort of a situation It's just way too much None of it had room to breathe So none of it really had an impact uh, I feel like this issue I mean we had the, the, the page with the X-Men coming back, right? We haven't We just found out we haven't had an X-Men team in a long time We've been reading these things since the summer of 2019 So, I mean that's a year and a half at this point we haven't had an X-Men team. Here is the first time we have an X-Men team, and all it is is a splash page. I mean, of course, they say, to me, my X-Men, which, oh, man, goosebumps, right? Um, it just makes it feel 
like an afterthought. Because, really, was this even the X-Men story? Not really. This was an Excalibur story, and this was an Apocalypse story that somehow usurped the entire line of books. And, uh, boy. And, you know, I want to... I don't want to go into particulars here because we'd be here all day. Um, and plus, I don't have anything prepared here, and I would like—I would hate to leave anything out. And we will be talking about X of Swords reactions for the next several episodes, and I'll be peppering in some thoughts as we go along as well. But I think there were like kernels of very interesting stories to be told in this in this event. Uh, This feels to me like it will age very well as a Wikipedia page, you know, or if there were such a thing as a Cliff's Notes for for comic book stories. I feel like that might be the best way to read this, because to, to read the hundreds and hundreds of pages that this is going to fill in an eventual uh, omnibus collection or whatever the hell it's going to be, I just feel like there's too much. There's too much and not enough. And I, and I realize I'm babbling at this point, but if we were to distill this down to its main points here, it would fill a nice Wikipedia article. And it would be an interesting and entertaining Wikipedia article because the high concepts are where most of this line of books excels. You know, it's like, ooh, that's an interesting thought. That's an interesting concept. But when you see it all play out, I mean, the the seams really show, at least to me anyway. Let's talk about one of the more interesting concepts we get here, and it uh, it totally, totally took me by surprise. Uh, Which, even though I'm not reading spoilers, and I'm not reading any sort of discussion on these books, it's very seldom where I'm surprised by something. You know, we had a few episodes back where Sinister turned on his team. That was a surprise to me. Uh, It shouldn't have been, but it was. Here... I was very surprised by our uh, moderate shoe drop moment where we had to swap a character uh, and Apocalypse was chosen. I didn't think we'd be losing Apocalypse from Krakoa. So that was very surprising to me and I feel like it might be it might be addition from addition by subtraction in removing him from uh, the the Krakoan landscape here since so much of Excalibur that we've had over the past year and a half, has been focusing on Apocalypse's uh, machinations and manipulations. And I feel like taking him off the board for a bit might give that book a little bit more room to breathe, and we might be able to spend some time with our characters there. Maybe less fetch questy stuff, uh, less kind of cloak and dagger swordy stuff. Um, then again, who knows where it's going to wind up, because we don't really even have a Betsy right now, or not at least our, not our own Betsy. But I'm interested in seeing Apocalypse off the table for a bit because, I mean, he won't be gone forever. We know that much. But I do wonder if we'll be checking in with him from time to time. I wonder if we'll see him in Genesis. I wonder if we're going to see some of uh, Amenth, just what it's like there. Because all we know is demons. (laughs) You know, we don't know what a mundane sort of a situation might be there. And now that they've been beaten, I don't know what that means for Amenth. Does that mean that they just all stop, you know, being? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Or maybe we won't. Apocalypse's choice for the island of Arako to uh, come back with uh, Krakoa, 
that's very interesting as well. First, it adds several million more mutants to Earth. If, if, of course, that's under the assumption that that means it's coming to Earth. For all I know, it could have just meant that a menth has to back off. So maybe it's staying exactly where it is, but a menth has to go. I'm not sure. But uh, if it is coming to Earth, we just found ourselves with another several million mutants on Earth. So that could definitely change the dynamic. And... Maybe even bring us back up to a like a Morrisonian number of mutants, you know, from the new X-Men days where we had the big population boom and they were looking like they were on track to overcome humans uh, after several generations. So there's definitely meat on the bone, right? If that's the case, um, we do have we do definitely have uh, Bay the Blood Moon coming over uh, with Doug. And we might have Iska the Unbeaten coming over if she still remains on Arako, and Arako does come over. So that could be interesting stuff as well, because uh, I think Bay the Blood Moon, uh, not Bay the Blood Moon, the other one, uh, Iska the Unbeaten is probably one of the more interesting characters we got the opportunity to meet here. And uh, I'm glad that uh, she won't just be uh, shuffled, you know, and pushed under the rug. Bay the Blood Moon, yeah, I could take a lever, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> She's here now. I do wonder if uh, Krakoa and Arako will attempt to merge, and what that might mean for uh, for Earth, or for the you know the people of Earth. Seeing something like that, uh, I don't know. That's one of those things where it's like you might want to get the reaction of the uh, the person on the street. You know, it's like, oh, there's another island, and they just merged, and uh oh, you know, maybe I don't know. Maybe that'll uh, make them worry about the mutants a little bit. I don't know, especially you know, with the population boom on top of it. But those are all questions that hopefully will get answered before long. I mean, the Hox, Pox, Docs, Rock, Socks era, um, it's known for giving us these big ideas and then kind of just sitting on them. So maybe this will be dealt with. Maybe it'll be, maybe they'll just put a bow on it and be like, okay, we'll come back to this in a year and a half. I mean, who knows? We'll see. We'll see. But um, I tell you what, I'm happy that we're through this. I am not going to miss it. <laughs> I'm definitely looking forward to getting back to business as usual here. Uh, over the next couple of episodes, we're going to be going a little bit off the beaten path before we resume with the uh, with the or before we start with the Reign of X books here. So we're good because we have some business we need to attend to from some mutanty things that happened while we were all away in our in our contest of swords. So we'll deal with that stuff over the next couple of episodes. And uh, I'm really looking forward to hitting the ground running with Reign of X since our first book is Hellions. And uh, I'm always a fan of that. But uh, that's that's all I got to say about this issue for now. I'm sure we'll be discussing this issue and this event a whole lot in the coming uh, weeks. So uh, stay tuned for that. But uh, for now, that's... I'm talking in circles, so I'm just going to stop. <laughs> so let's shift gears and hop into the mailbag here. We're going to start with Damien, who's talking about Hellions number six. He says, well, that was a load of fun creepiness. This issue starts starts with a great scene recapping the Hellions' unseen adventures. It would have been so easy to cover this with an info page, but Wells cleverly uses the recap to reflect character. Totally. Totally. Uh, When everyone else zigs, Zeb Wells zags. That's a hard sentence to say. (laughs) It's an amazingly difficult sentence to say. Um... I feel like the over-reliance on things like info pages uh, would 
would maybe urge a writer to fill in a whole, you know, like even just have like a map and have them, you know, this is the path they took and this is where LOL this happened and this is where Raffle this happened and Wells didn't do that and kudos to him for that. Damien continues. The Amenti villains were really repulsive, and Sinister's true purpose was both obvious and surprising. I love the final twist of Sinister killing everyone so that no one knows about his DNA collecting. Totally, totally. A spot on uh, there with those, the, the Locust Vile were... It's not often that we have an artist here who is not... Not doing, like, full-on gore, but is able to show us just how gruesome the uh, these characters are. I mean, we have one that's basically a walking tumor, right? Um, we've got one with bones brittle that you can see them poking through their skin. Really, really gross stuff here, but not explicitly so, if that makes any sense. It, it doesn't really... Uh, it doesn't really insist upon its gruesomeness. <laughs> it's uh, just really, really good stuff. Uh, the twist with Sinister taking everyone out. I mean, perfect. Perfect. So well done. So subtle. Um, and like I mentioned a few moments ago, it's, it caught me off guard. It was like, wait a minute. How did this work? And it made you think. And it made you like go back and the wheels started spinning. It's like, wait a minute. This was perfectly orchestrated. How did we not know this? So good. So good. Damien continues. By the way, I wouldn't worry about the return of Apoth. My understanding is that Quanon gave the remains of Apoth to Sinister for him to separate her daughter from Apoth, so if he achieves this, there is no more Apoth. I do wonder how long Quanon will give Sinister to fix her daughter. I don't imagine she'll be too patient. And that's a bit of that of uh, Fallen Angels that I totally forgot. I totally spaced that uh, that there was a an element of uh, Bet- uh, Betsy, oh boy, Quanon, Revanche, whatever the other names, <laughs> Psylocke's daughter. So uh, that is a that's definitely something I could see happening here, and that's certainly uh, more motivation for Psylocke to to have taken the box of the the mosquitoes, you know, the DNA mosquitoes, because it's like, hey, I've got that apoth box. You'd be like, yeah, you got apoth, but it's, hey, I've got your daughter. Okay, well, you're not screwing around, so uh, I'll I'll take your little box. Now, uh, Damien wraps up with, Anyway, until Nanny reveals which came first, the chicken or the egg, <laughs> make my neck lapsed. Well, thank you so much, both for the chuckle and for the thoughts on that issue. A fantastic issue. I mean, I say it every time here. If, uh, if you're not reading Hellions, you should be reading Hellions. And if you want to write superhero comics, a team book, read Hellions, because you'll learn something there, I think. Uh, this... I'm not a person who likes using the word perfect, but uh, it's close. It's really, really close. But uh, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts there. Uh, Next, we've got a letter from Evan, which contains some pre-listen thoughts about Hellions and Cable number sixes. He says, quick thoughts on Hellions and Cable number six, though I haven't listened to the episodes yet, so you may get further reaction, and indeed we will next episode. He says, we keep using the refrain, it feels like I missed an issue. And in Hellions number 6, it really does. Except we know everything we need to know. Not to pile on, but I would have preferred an extra issue bridging the two Hellions installments to Wolverine's underworld journey, but in this instance, it was the destination and not the journey that was the point. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, Wells, he, he knows when to hold them and he knows when to fold them, right? He, he, the, the omissions 
from his stories really say they say so much more than the things that other people put in their stories. We didn't need to see the trip, right? And he knew we didn't need to see the trip because what would the trip do? What would the trip? How would it have changed anything? Here we can let our imagination run wild. Here and I mean we're in other world. We're in a uh, fallen kingdom of other world. So Lord only knows what these uh, what these poor characters uh, were faced with. And then we see where they what they get to here, and they're facing off with these these abominations. So we don't need to see everything. I think it's better this way, and, and you're, you're definitely right. Now, Evan continues. We see that beneath the sass, Sinister is as insidious a schemer as ever, and we lose poor Wildchild, a character who I never had much attachment to beyond his Age of Apocalypse mini Sabretooth phase in a scene made more poignant by the fact that he's a feral human and not a loyal dog. Sinister's treachery upon returning was shocking and not at the same time. Hellion should be too dark and gruesome for me, but Wells continues to make it work. And yes, I mean, it's just a perfect mix of horror and humor and personality and motivation and characters. It's it's really just such a damn good book, and I, I feel like I'm, I'm be- just beating a drum over and over again for this book, but... I mean, Wildchild, a character just like you, I didn't care about this guy. But over the course of the last several issues here, he's had this weird bond with Quanan, where he does kind of act, he kind of he, he kind of falls into that loyal role here, where she kind of breaks him. You know, he attacks her back at the orphanage, but she breaks him, and he becomes this, this loyal companion, and she sends him to his death knowingly, so she could, uh, so she could escape with sinister secret, you know. I mean, awesome characterization, and you could see that the seeds have been planted over the course of the first several issues here with uh, Wildchild and and uh, Psylocke's relationship happening. Right? These are kind of like the perfect um, crossover issues for this because we're still continuing our story. We're continuing the Hellion story, just. Under the banner of X of Swords here, they didn't have to give up their entire personality. They didn't have to give up their forward momentum. They didn't have to pump the brakes like a book like Marauders had to. You know, Marauders, as Damien put it, you could skip the uh, the X of Tens issues, and you won't really miss much because you, you'd miss the Storm stuff, of course. But as far as the team book's concerned, the story's going to pick up next issue. You know, we're going to have Call Me Kate wanting to take out Sebastian Shaw. That's the story we're getting, and this was a this was a bump in the road. This was a a pause button. Where Hellions, I mean, this is just really really good stuff here. Didn't have to give up anything from its ongoing story to fit into uh, X of Swords, and of course they were serving two different purposes, Marauders and Hellions. But I'm very pleased that Hellions was able to do this, do it so well. And stick every landing, right? Evan continues, Cable number six is the X of Sword battle issue that I was expecting all along. Cable's avoidance of death didn't feel like a cop-out, and Gorgon's death was powerful. If, even by process of elimination, he should have been easily identified as the Krakoan sword-bearer least likely to survive. It even glosses over the convenient boost in Krakoan points. Was it Andrew who compared these rules to whose line is it anyway? Spot on. Yes, it was Andrew and Jason both had that uh, thought here, and it's... It's definitely true, you know, the the, uh, the bouts are made up and the points don't matter. But uh, yeah, Cable number 6 was um, definitely more like it. 
and it really made us ask some questions. You know, uh, Cable, he wouldn't he wouldn't land the killing blow on Bay the Blood Moon because he caught a glimpse of Doug Ramsey and Doug. I mean, that's that's her husband, right? And he couldn't kill the person he was supposed to kill, even though that meant even. I mean, as far as Cable knew at the time, there was only one way out of this fight: either Bay dies or he dies. He didn't know that uh, Saturnine was going to fudge it a little bit and be like, "Oh well, you, your your uh, yeah, your spirit's dead." So yada yada yada. He didn't know that at the time, so he hesitated because he couldn't do it. And I love the fact that ma- that makes him think about Old Man Cable, and whether or not Old Man Cable would have hesitated the same way. I mean, when you talk about character depth, Cable probably isn't the first character to pop into mind, but. Under uh, under Duggan's pen here, I mean, Kid Cable is becoming a fleshed out character, not a not a caricature, not a funny ha ha relic of the '90s here, but an actual full you know flesh and blood character, and it's really really well done. Uh, Gorgon, of course, I think I mentioned this during the discussion that uh, he was. If I had to bet on one of these characters being a red shirt, I mean, of course, it's going to be Corkin. <laughs> Corkin is a... Uh, he's the... One of these things is not like the other character for this group here. We've got all these established and uh, beloved uh, X-Men characters and Gorgon, <laughs> you know? I mean, even Brian Britton is a... He, he's a... Uh, he's like an X-adjacent character, but still... He's been around for 40 years, and uh, we all know and love him. And, you know, we, we like his sister, so he, we got to hang out with him as well. But, uh, yeah, Gorgon. I had a feeling Gorgon wasn't going to make it, and Gorgon was going to be the sacrificial lamb for our team. But, uh, like you pointed out here, the way they did it, powerful. It was very, very powerful. He accepted it. And, uh, I mean, the White Sword didn't really relish in doing it. I thought that whole fight was very, very well done because... The White Sword wasn't fighting for either side. He was fighting for himself. He was fighting because he said he would. He did. He has no love lost for the Amenthes. He has no hate for the Krakoans. This was a job that he was doing because he was called upon to do a job. And he even tries to sit it out. He even tries to have his hundred take care of Gorgon for him rather than do it himself. And then only does so when it's kind of like, you know, hey, you gotta, you gotta do this. <laughs> you know, but it was so well done. Because it was it was emotionless, but at the same time it was very very powerful and emotional. It's very strange, but very very well done. Li- liked it a lot. Now uh, Evan continues with, "I wish I could enjoy the zanier aspects more, but this is the tone they set up through the first half." And yeah, the zanier stuff is kind of hit or miss uh, with me here. Um, some of it, some of it's a little much. You know, I'm thinking about the kill a kitten, <laughs> and uh, some of it is very very. You know, Saturnine's just basically clutching its draws here to try to make this uh, go the way she needs it to go. Um, whichever way she can, I guess, and just screwing with everybody along the way as best she can. But uh, the setup here, and I mean, we talked about this uh, during the the synopsis here. The pacing is just all over the place for this entire um, this entire event. 22 parts, plus all the prelude, plus the path twos, plus the free comic book day. It's... A lot of pages here, and uh, the pacing has been, I think, uneven. Is um, is being polite because we have we had set a tone for this first half, and 
then it wasn't just a shoe that dropped, it was a clown shoe that dropped. And it squeaked when it hit the ground. And then we get this weird stuff with these odd bouts. But uh, yeah, I guess we just take it for whatever it is. Uh, Evan wraps up with, So until you start awarding points for the mailbag, <laughs> make my next lapsed. And boy, I, I don't know that I have the mental uh, capacity to <laughs> make up points. I think I'll give you, I'm going to give Damien two thumbs up for his... Uh, for his uh, letter, and I'm going to give you uh, a gold star and a check plus. So those are our points for this episode, but that's where we're going to tie a bow on the mailbag here and revisit some more next time. If you would like to be a part of the mailbag and join in the conversation, please feel free to do so. You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, or you could shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com and also xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can chat us up on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. And you can listen to all the Chris and Reggie stuff at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Whew, alrighty. Well, that's where we're going to leave it today. We are uh, officially done. With uh, all the synopsis portion Because we'll still discuss X of Swords In the uh, coming days, weeks, and potentially months But uh, the story's done So uh, if anybody was afraid of spoiling me on it Worry no more Because we're done with it (laughs) I would like to thank you all so much For accompanying me on this uh, Nearly month-long trip Into Otherworld It really, really means the world to me Thank you all so much Until next time, as always I'll talk to you again real soon See ya (laughs) 